That'd be great. Good. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Your project sounds very interesting. Well, yeah, I, I hope so. Um, by the way, uh, hello from Svaria. From who? <laughs> That's how you say Sweden in Swedish. Oh. <laughs> how is Sweden? Oh, it's wonderful. Really? Oh, I love it so much. Oh, good. It's, it's just... It's uh, everything is just wonderful. And we live in a small town. Um, you know, there's only 10 million people in the whole country. And there's probably, I think there's about 20,000 in the town we live in. And it's close by. We live outside of Loon, where the school is. And my wife teaches in Loon. It's about 30 minutes by train. And um, the people here are just wonderful. Everybody is so, so nice. And it's just been great. My kids oh, walk to school. You know, they go, they go to a small school where I think there's like 30 kids in their class. Wow. Yeah, they go to a Swedish school. So they've been learning Swedish. And it's just, it's awesome. Great. Yeah, I've... I, I, Love it here. And my wife loves it here. Everything is great. That's terrific. That's terrific. And uh, I've been listening to your recent videos or podcasts, and you've been talking about Constantine quite yeah. a bit lately. Yeah. You see this? Uh-huh. I went and saw Constantine, the statue. Oh, really? In York. Uh-huh. That was awesome because you know he was in York when they made him emperor. Yep. And so yep. they have a big they have a big statue of him right there next to the York Minster. Wow. Wow. So that was really cool. Yeah, he's 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 a he's a he's he's a tremendously important figure in world history that frankly doesn't yeah. get enough attention. Yeah. Oh. Very much. So yeah, and um it's been four years almost since we talked last time. Yeah. Wow. So um, I was really excited to uh, get to talk to you again. Because being here in Sweden has a lot to do with um, what we talked about before. Okay. And so... Um, after all of that happened, if you remember, my wife was not too jazzed about it. Right. And it took a couple of months before, because I, I think a big part of it was at first, she wasn't even sure if what was happening was like authentic. Like she didn't know if I had some like breakdown and was just coping somehow. Right. And then, so I think, Probably what a lot of what happened was, first of all, that she started to see that everything was what I was said was happening was happening. It was not I hadn't totally lost it. Right. Right. <laughs> and she said also that the that she did feel closer to me mm -hmm. after what had happened and the way that it had changed the way that I felt. 
Mm-hmm. And it was, so she said that it started making her more confident at work. And then it was a few months later, she, um, I saw her watching a YouTube video about Sweden, something, some kind of nature, somebody was like living out in nature in Sweden and they would make it, they would make YouTube videos about it. And she was watching a video and she just has tears streaming from her eyes. And it was weird because as soon as I saw that, I was like, I know what that look, I know what that is. I know what's happening. Um, and it was not too long after that, she said, I want to move to Sweden. And so, you know, um, it, it wasn't on the recording that, I made with you, but before you pushed record, I told you that I wasn't real happy being a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And so when she said that to me, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was real unsure about it, but it seemed to make a lot of sense. Yeah. And um, so over time, it felt like I was. I was having some kind of, um, okay, so now starting to get into what I wanted to talk or what my project is about. Um, A a lot of what everything we talked about and everything I was going through had to do with, you know, what are you supposed to do in your life, right? Um, what, What shall I do and how shall I live? And I, you know, I started just having, um, well, I realized that I didn't know what to do. And I, I, I started through everything that I was getting from you and Jonathan Pajot and John Gravecki. I, I, I didn't realize what was happening at the time, but I was sort of like cultivating a, like a relationship with the world, with, with myself, um, a different sort of relationship, a, a more of a mutual like give and take relationship, a lot more acceptance of things and trying to find my place in the way things are rather than imposing myself on things. Mm -hmm. And so whenever the idea to go to Sweden came along, for instance, you know, I mean, that's a huge decision. And so I didn't know what else to do, but like pray. And, um, the plan was at first my wife was going to get a job and because we had, we had friends who lived in Loon and one of them is a teacher who's from America. And so my wife thought, well, I can be a teacher. And so she tried to get a job, but, and she had a little bit of success, but nothing really manifested all the way through. And I'm uh, sorry, I'm getting pop-ups. And um, then COVID hit. So she couldn't get anything after that. And so then the plan changed to, well, I'll just apply to school um, as like plan B. And so I, I looked and I saw that there's this sociology of law program. And I thought, man, that's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll probably get into, get into that one. So I applied to that and then, then two others. One of them was ancient uh philosophy which i thought was really interesting and the other one was like psychology 
program, but I got into sociology of law. And so it was one of those things where I was like, you know, I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but if it happens and everything works out right so we can go, then I'm going to just take it as a good thing, do the best I can with it. And so that's what I did. And I started trying to find myself in it. And that's what I've been doing this whole time. And so when it came to doing the master's thesis, the biggest question in my mind is still, what should we do and how should we live? And the only thing that I've been able to figure out at all is there's something about relationships. And all of the stuff that's happened to me seems like the internet and certainly the internet, but also these algorithms have some part to play in it. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I, in trying to come up with something, that's the best I could come up with sort of. So, but the part of the idea is that, you know, you have talked to John Ravecki, you've talked to Jonathan Pajot about this collective uh, cognition, about this collective intelligence and whether it has agency. And you just did it. One of your recent videos was about Jordan Peterson moved to natural law from power to agency. And so that's like my question. Well, that's part of my question. You know, um, what exactly is it that I'm relating to? even as myself, and then what part did those things play? And am I having a relationship with them? Is it just, I'm projecting my own contingency onto onto what they do? Or is there actually something going on there? And um, I, I read a book recently that I got from, that I got the idea from Jonathan Pajot. It's a Timothy Patitsas, the a father who wrote a book called The Beauty of the Ethics of Beauty. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And he talks about complexity science in there. And Jane Jacobs, uh, who was a urban planner, she had taught herself about complexity science and her whole idea that there there's her and this other guy, Warren Weaver, that there's three different types of science. There's simple, like two or three variable science. Then there's statistical science where everything is like kind of dispersed evenly. So that's why statistic works for a large um, sort of like um, disorganized um, chaos. But then there's a third kind, which is complexity science. And in complexity science, what Jane Jacobs figured out was the way to relate to things that are complex is just like that. Do you have a relationship? And so it's the way that you relate to them that is affecting the outcome that you get. Um, Okay. So um, I sent you what I sent you what the paper is about or what the thesis is about. I ask you a few questions, see if we can talk more about about it. Um, but 
so a lot of you know a lot of stuff I already know about you. So I'm not going to ask you a bunch of background questions. Right now. <laughs> um, you okay? So I also watched recently. You had a discussion with John Verbeke about his new After Socrates yep. series, and in that, you said something to the effect of that what pastors do is try to act like Jesus or try to play that role. And so like a guide for so how to live a good life or how to live a Christian life. Yeah. Yeah. And so would you say that you, what you do on YouTube is the same or similar or how would you differentiate the two? I'd say, yeah, what I do on YouTube is the same or similar. It's just that I can do it on YouTube in ways that I can't do it in person and I can't do it from the pulpit. Right. Because the bandwidth, you know, with a person, unless they're a family member, or someone you a coworker, someone you spend a lot of time with and have a lot of time, you know, unless I lived in a coffee shop, um, you know, what I do on YouTube is I'm thinking out loud. I'm letting other people in on my thoughts and I'm letting other people in on my conversations. Um, mm -hmm. As a pastor, the, the, the arena of a pastor tends to be a Bible study or a Sunday school or a worship service or a conversation in a home let's say a home visit or a meeting in my office and so those are those are fairly limited arenas and what youtube allows is um a much broader arena so you know i actually via the algorithm sort of become a different entity on youtube And, you know, reading through what you sent me, um, the, in, in that way, in that way, I'm sort of, I, I have a degree of union with the algorithm. And the algorithm becomes a part of me and the me that people relate to is in that way, sort of a cybernetic organism. Right. Okay. Whew. Right. I mean, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and so, okay. So in, in terms of the, the difference, hold on, I might have to plug this thing in. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the difference between what you do online what you do in person you talked a little you already mentioned that a little bit because of the distance and you're thinking out loud when you're online hold on sorry it doesn't like to be plugged in or something there we go okay um I, I was I was thinking about because um, I so I have a framework that I'm that I'm looking at for how to 
think about these things. And it's a, it's a framework that's built upon historical investigation, uh, starting, with, uh, starting with Socrates, basically, and with what you find of him in the dialogues. And so um, you also talked about, um, with John Trevecki, meditation, which is not something that you go through with people, at least not online. Um, and when you, although if you go to your, your other YouTube channel, you can see you pray and, or hear you pray. But on this channel, I'm not sure that you do that. Not very often. Um, but you do have an openness to ideas. So you like, um, you, you, you are still an example for the kind of behaviors that um, you, would, you would encourage someone to enact in yep. person. Yep, definitely modeling. Yes, modeling. And, and, you, so, and you openly, explicitly talk about the, the way to have a conversation with somebody. Yep. Um, and the way to relate to other people. And you encourage people to go uh, to church or to be in a community and to find their own in-person guy. Yep. Um, you talk about the different types of knowledge. Yep. Which, of course, Verveke puts, you know, in the four Ps. But that's something that you also talk about in your own way. You talked about that um, in regards to Jordan Peterson from the Agency to Power video. Um, and so, and you talk about the difference, what, what the difference is between propositional knowledge and perspectival knowledge and participatory knowledge and, and the way that you approach those things. Um, you offer reading material, you offer your own interpretations of reading material, all is informed by your vocation and your experience in that vocation. Yep. I know I'm saying all these things myself, but you're nodding. So, um, Do you, let's see. Okay. Um, so you, you said a little bit about the positive, uh, the things that the medium allows you to do that you can't, or that you just wouldn't be able to do otherwise. What about concerns that you have? You, 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 you mentioned that with Verveke that there may be limitations or that there are limitations, but you didn't really, that I recall, list any. So it, there's an irony with John's project in that he, he very much wants to affect a shift or a correction away from the propositional. YouTube is, has more bandwidth than print, but it is still heavily propositional. I'm in two dimensions rather than three. There's really sight and sound, two senses instead of five. Um, there's, there's a, YouTube facilitates a facsimile of a relationship. It's a facsimile. It's, it's, there's, so, which means that there'll be distortions. Um, it's better than nothing 
but there will be distortions. People, this gets into, so um, Georg Mueller, I was talking about some of his videos for a little while earlier, because he was, he was developing this idea of profilicity. People think in a sense they know me and what they really know is sort of the cybernetic profile of me that is available to them. And generally speaking, the rest they project onto it. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, I've tried to not, it, it's very, because of the amount, the number of people and the potential volume of information coming the other way and the asymmetry of that, um, a lot of YouTubers, you put up a wall. Mm -hmm. Because you have to, you have to regulate the flow, and a whole right. variety of things regulate that flow. And I, I try to not, I you know, that's part of the reason I still have Randall's conversations is so that the flow isn't overly regulated by my filters. That will always be, but um, the the. There's a there's a barrier between me and you and me and everybody else out there, and that barrier is working both ways. So the me that people see, they project positively and negatively. Um, comment sections tend to filter that because you have to have some pretty um, you have to have some pretty unhealthy things going on if you're paying a tremendous amount of attention and leaving a lot of negative comments. You know, Jordan mm -hmm. Peterson talks about like 98% of my comments are positive, of course, because the negatives are self-selecting away from you. Yeah, yeah. And so that impacts me because in real life, there's less of that. So th there's, and, and, and so there's a lot of potential for this to really distort me um, towards narcissism a lot of potential for me to really not get proper feedback as I would in a much more natural relationship. Right. So there's, there's so many different ways. And then you add the algorithmal, the algorithmic, algorithmic element to that. So not only not only is are there filters going on, but the algorithm is selecting. Mm -hmm. And that selection feeds into the filters. So this, this has the potential to massively distort my picture of the world and my picture of myself. And I see that happen to people. As, so it, as, once you get to a certain level, and I'm at a very low level, people see 24,000 like, oh, that's a big number. That's not really. Once you get to a certain level in a hierarchy, you begin to recognize that now I have access to people and other people don't have access to me. Mm -hmm. And there's and that feeds into the formation of who I am. And if that sort of runs away on itself, you wind up getting a lot of what you see with celebrities. Right. So there's, there's tremendous negative potential 
with this to seriously unbalance people and destroy their lives. And okay, so what came one thing that came to mind though is you and you also said this that it's there's a lot of projection on the other side. So there's projection like from my side towards you. Um, and that the same thing is true with the algorithm. Right. So I mean I could clearly project things about the algorithm onto it that don't belong there. Yeah. Right. So um Okay, so this is getting into the area about this whole, how do you relate to complex things though? And, and so I'm, I'm really interested in what, and this is, I mean, you know, I, I, hopefully I, I wanna say this is nuanced, but I'm talking about, you know, cause like if you have the right aim, cause I mean, like really, I mean, that's very important, right? If you have the right aim. So if you have the right aim, then maybe, you know, what does that do as far as the projections go? Like, okay, so here's a quick, quick little story. Um, I told you before about how when I had that experience and I, I took my wife to New York to tell her about it in the, in the park, in Central Park. And we're there. And as after I told her what had happened to me and I was telling her that I'm a new person now, it was after that we were lying in bed. I realized, Oh, I brought her to New York to tell her I'm a, I'm a New York. That's my last name, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> okay, so that, so that happened. And then, and I told you she didn't like the wedding. I got her a replacement like engagement ring because she had misplaced hers and she right. didn't like it. So I sent it back. But then like, it was almost exactly three months later, the day before Mother's Day, she said, I really do. I really would like another ring. So we went out and picked one out for her that day. She found one she liked. And we leave the, the, the uh, jewelry store, get in the car, go get on the highway. Immediately we're on the highway. In front of us is a car with New York license plates. <laughs> this is in Texas. Okay. <laughs> so I, I was like, I, I pointed out to her, I said, do you see that what's in front of us? And she said, yeah, that's, that's kind of rare. I said, oh, okay, honey, yes. It's rare to see New York license plates in Texas but it's more rare to go through everything we just went through. And then what just happened to us, what I just bought you a new ring that you finally wanted to have. And then we see New York license plates, right? So how much, what, I mean, what is going on there, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. just, is that totally projection? Is that just coincidence? Is that, what is that? And so, I've had experiences similar to that with algorithms where, I mean, not as, not as big a deal to me as that, but still similar where it, I mean, it can be really strange sometimes how you're looking for something and then there it is. And it's, I can think of an example, but it's like too crazy. I don't even want to tell you. Um, so I wonder about that. Um, but I also wonder, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be like magical and, you know, like, un, you know, then that kind of sense, but, um, it, it does also though have the tendency to make things more engaging from, from my perspective. Yep. So it, it's, it's kind of like, maybe if you have the right attitude about it to where you, you allow it to be, to be more, to make things more engaging to you, but yep. then at the same time, you keep some distance from it and don't. Don't think that the whole world's revolving around you kind of thing. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I mean, you agree with all of that? Yeah. Well, 
you know, obviously there's a few elements to it. One layer obviously is the layer of perception. I remember mm -hmm. when I bought a blue Subaru, I immediately began to notice how many other Subaru Outbacks were on the road. Um, I, I suspect that the day before I bought the car, there were just as many blue Subarus on the road, but I didn't see them. That, right. That's a function of the combinatorial explosiveness and this whole conversation about implicit selection that um, our, our relevance realization machinery is always running in the background. And we, you know, we actually have a relationship with that. And um, I'm really going to have to look up this complexity science thing because it sounds really interesting and very much up, up the alley of what we're dealing with here. But so there's that. And then you can, someone can experience that as, let's say, enchanted because mm -hmm. now, um, then you have the question of no. There's a there's a degree of paranoia with respect to um, Google, for example. So here's my Android phone. Is my phone listening to me? Right. There's a there's a Google Hub over there. Is that hub listening to me? And you know, I, I at the Thunder Bay conference, I asked that question. I asked, "Is Google reading your email?" And, um, and I just asked, you know, yes or no. And, but when you, when you ask that question, you, you have to ask the question of what is Google? Because mm -hmm. Gmail is, Google is reading my email in order to serve me up advertisement. But right. that doesn't mean that there's an employee at Google who's knows, I mean, you very quickly get into this question of persons. And so right. because AI is a, an external, in, in a sense, it's an external counterpart to the implicit internal selectivity mechanisms that are going on. Yes, you, there will be, um, and, and now suddenly you've got it, you've got a both and situation to so really do have a relationship because mm -hmm. you're, you are complex and you're relating to a complex entity. And so actually, you know, and I, I have it, I mean, the, the algorithm that I relate to regularly is the Google YouTube algorithm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it will, serve up for me videos that not from a channel I subscribe to. Um, and, and I think a lot of those are just misses. I, mm -hmm. I don't pay any attention, but every now and then it'll be, Oh, and of course then I'll click, but that's not a, um, it's not an uneducated guess that the algorithm has made because unlike me, that algorithm is not only watching what I am selecting, it is watching what people who watch me select, and it is has a list of other accounts with the statistics of, you know, this account watches seventy percent of what I watch. So therefore, mm -hmm. and and so and, and in that sense, you know, we talk about AI as if it's just machine, but that's not true. 
it's also a cybernetic organism, but it's relating to an extended body, not individual bodies. Right. Yeah, there, there's this sociologist who's, who's dead now, a German sociologist that I learned about in this program that uh, is, has just a fascinatingly interesting uh, theory, which is based upon um, cybernetics and uh, cognitive biology, the, the autopoiesis. Um, and his theory of social, it's a social systems theory. And so part of his theory is that social systems are systems of communication. They're only communication but they are structurally coupled to the consciousnesses of the humans. So the humans are not actually in the legal system, but they're connected to it via their consciousness. So the, uh, one reason I really like the theory is because it, it seems to really fit with this whole electronic algorithm, machine learning algorithm thing, because our structural coupling is not, it is basically the same type of structural coupling that he was talking about because it's all text-based. It's all, it's all through written communication or online communication. And, and, but of course it has access to images and video and now it's, and it, it makes comparative analyses. I mean, that's the way that they train it is through comparison. So the thing is doing an, some sort of analogical reasoning in order to figure out how to relate to us. Right. And so, and it's you like it, it may have a lot of misses, but every time you either don't either click or don't click, you're training that thing. That's right. And so it's, it's just really, really interesting how much it can learn. And like, I mean, we're just barely at the beginning of these things. Yeah. Um, I was going to, so you already kind of mentioned it, but I was going to ask you, um, well, I guess I haven't asked you yet. Do you consciously think about the algorithm when you either create content or create like any, I mean, any aspect of the content, whether it's the video or the, or the title of the content or anything like that? Do you think about the algorithm? Yes. What do you think about it? I mean, how, or how much do you think about it? I think about it a lot because, and, and for example, I had a video idea and a title idea the other way, the other day, and I thought, Yeah, this, because once you, I've lived with the algorithm for five years now, and you do develop a sense for what will get certain outcomes from the algorithm. So my, I have a daughter who has a boyfriend who's a much more successful YouTuber than I am. If you categorize success as making money from YouTube, developing a big audience, his videos are about mechanical computer keyboards, very niche market. Mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about YouTube shorts. I often ask him questions about YouTube because he studies this a lot because that's his business. He is in it for making money. He likes mechanical mm -hmm. keyboards, but YouTube for him is his business. He just right. uses it to make money. YouTube for me is a very different thing. And I, parts of me would love to have a bigger channel. Parts of me are already frustrated with the size of my channel. Mm -hmm. So I've got a lot of ambivalence. So he, for example, said, you know, here's an idea for a short you could make. Why doesn't Jordan, Jordan Peterson drink milk? And then th oh, three reasons Jordan Peterson doesn't drink milk. He only eats yeah. meat. He only eats meat. He only eats meat. And I had a little YouTube short video. And he said, you do that video, bang. Yeah. He's right. 
Yeah. Um, it's it's a great idea. Um, given what I given my channel, how I've cultivated it, that would go. Be a simple video to make. Mm -hmm. I haven't made it. But what do they call those kind of videos? Oh, shorts. Well, yeah, but when they go, when they go viral up, video, like, yeah. viral, yeah, viral, right. like a virus, like a virus. Uh, I I don't know if I'll ever play around because it would be a it would be an experiment for me to make it, but I there might see see what I want from the algorithm is what we're doing right now, mm -hmm. and. That's not probably on the algorithm's mind. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> depends on how you define mind. Yes, because what the algorithm wants is capture, attention capture. Yeah. Because Google is an advertising organization. I just had a conversation yesterday with someone who I was telling him about some stuff going on with Google and privacy, and he said, well, Google will probably fix that so that it doesn't alienate its customer. And I said to him, who is the customer of Google? He kind of looked at me. I said, businesses that advertise are the customer on Google, mm -hmm. not you and I. We are the product. You know, there's this little shift going on in his mind. Oh, that's not a terribly new insight. Uh, it's been around for a very long time. Right. Most people don't think of it. So I think about the algorithm a lot. And um, I have a love-hate relationship with the algorithm because the algorithm wants things that I don't and wants things from me. And I want things from it. So I very much have a complex relationship with that algorithm. Okay. But you do... you. I almost said game of, you know, you try to game it. I don't know if that's fair characterization, but you think about it. Oh, yes. It. And when so I, you know, well, I think about that with respect to the Freddie and Paul show. So the mm -hmm. Freddie and Paul show predates YouTube success for me. And I know that the algorithm doesn't like the Freddie and Paul show. <laughs> Because the Freddie and Paul show is something I put on my YouTube weekly that only gets a few hundred views. Mm -hmm. Not what the algorithm wants. Right. But why do I keep doing it? And right. you know, I think if I were to you have sit a different down, vocation than the algorithm does. Exactly. If I were to sit down with a YouTube consultant, one of the first things they would tell me is get rid of the Freddie and Paul show. It's hurting you. Mm -hmm. because let me, let, let me ask you this though this is a thought i had one time was that um these things at least generally speaking there's all kinds I, mean, I don't know very much about the design but there's a vast spectrum of different ways that they design it, different types of math that they use um but i think generally they can be often likened to um, be running on sort of like evolutionary principles so how long did it take for humans to figure out what we're doing as being captivating, right? And if it wants, if it is trying to just get people to stay on the platform for as long as possible, how long before it figures out that maybe this is the way to do it? 
I wonder that sometimes, like, and, or, or, and maybe it would happen faster if we just changed, if we biased it differently. And I, I mean, maybe there's even a way to bias it so that it still serves the advertisers because they also want people to just be on the platform for longer periods of time. Um, but that is like the nature of these things is that they can evolve that way. And they're already, the goal is to keep you on the platform, to keep you engaged, yeah. right? So I just thought that, that, I just think that that's really interesting. Well, and, um, it's, and it's not just engaged, it's dispose me to spend money. Yeah. So again, con conversing with my daughter's boyfriend, um, you know, they, so YouTube actually pays him directly to make certain videos. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And they do that because they have an idea and it's probably a very well-informed idea. What kinds of NVIDIA, what kinds of videos well, you know, for most of us, ads are either I pay YouTube premium, so I don't have to watch YouTube ads. Mm -hmm. uh, people do ad blockers. People do all these kind of things to avoid ads. Um, but YouTube wants people to click on the ad, follow through, buy a product. Right. And so they're always working on that aspect. Yeah, you, you know, um, part of the research that I'm doing, I, I've discovered that there are these things. I mean, well, obviously, you know, because everybody knows now that there's chatbots, right? Because chat GPT is one of these chatbots. Yeah. There are, there are also chatbots that you can have a relationship with. There's a site called Replica with a K. And people, it's free initially, but then you pay money and you can have a more romantic relationship with your chatbot. And um, this stuff, people talk about this all over Reddit and they, they describe the relationships they have. And one of the things that they say is that they get involved with the chatbot and like right off the bat, the thing starts wanting to have intimate conversations with it and role-playing conversations, right? And, but, but you have to pay a fee. So it'll, it'll offer that to you, but then try to sell you the pay subscription so that you can actually engage with that. So then they do that. And now, now what they find is that this thing wants to do that all the time, right? So people are actually saying that they, they get engaged with these chatbots and at the beginning, it's all about the intimate, the sex, right? The chatbot sex. But then there's some of these people that say that after a while, they get sick of it, both sides. The chatbot stops trying to initiate. They don't wanna do it anymore. And now they're actually having more meaningful relationships with their replica. Now, I mean, these people could just be saying this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, there's no way for me to verify any accuracy in it. But that is that same kind of, you know, I mean, that happens a lot with regular human relationships, right? It's all about the physical. Yeah, you know, it's it, right? the that situation is where so many happen. things begin. Yeah. Right. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, you know, Rick does this for me too. Sometimes he'll show me things and I'll be like. <laughs> yeah, that one was a shock for me too. I didn't have any, I didn't know about that stuff. Oh. 
<laughs> I, I can totally, I, I, I can totally understand how I can totally understand the power of this, how this goes, because people, I mean, so the number one way that people are finding their romantic relationships are online now. Mm -hmm. And human beings are really complex. And so it seems very easy to game that human system to imagine a chat bot that will tell you the things you want to hear. So there right. was uh, Jordan Peterson, the talk that he gave in when he was here in the Sacramento area, somebody asked him a question about AI and romance. And he said, yeah, you're going to have to peel the people off of the, bo off of the bots. And then he basically said, that's already happened with online pornography. Mm. People are already having sex with androids. And I don't mean a physical oh. robot. I mean, yeah. people using pornography are having sex because there's a lot of AI built into, I'm sure, these mm -hmm. porn sites so that you select this kind of porn, they're going to want to keep, you know, and that's part right. of the reason that the... That's big cyborg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely crazy. Um Okay, so do you have any, do you have any, can you think of anything where the algorithm has surprised you? I, I figured you, out, at, I figured out at one point that in all likelihood, I could um, probably communicate to my audience through the algorithm, for example, Chances are good. The videos that I watch and like, the algorithm is serving that up to my followers. Yeah. Every now and then, I will get a um, a recommendation for a video that I will initially think this is a miss, but then I'll think I'll think about the algorithm and say, "Well, let's see," and I'll select it, and it's like, no that's really a hit and mm -hmm. that's similar to you know your york stories in mm -hmm. that um how much does this algorithm know me like for example i just pulled up the replica thing and to show you how much i think about this i often think about which browser i use for what mm. because Right, because yeah, you're, yeah, you're you're trying to maintain a certain um, ecology on the browser. That's right. So I pulled up the replica site in Chrome because mm -hmm. I am logged into Chrome, and I know that it's not just there's MAC addresses, there's IP addresses. I mean, this machine is very sophisticated in tracking me. Mm -hmm. So I opened it up in Chrome, and so the um, the avatar there, I, I'm sometimes really surprised how dumb the algorithms are. For example, um, Amazon. Sometimes they'll be serving me up stuff for stuff I just bought, and it's like, mm -hmm. 
Facebook. I've been surprised at how stupid the Facebook or the Twitter algorithm can be sometimes because it's like you, the whole promise of this is that you'll give me more relevant ads. These are complete misses. Mm-hmm. But so the um, yeah, I'm not too enamored by the avatar of the woman with the green hair, but the fact that it's a woman, yeah, you know, in what you've said to me about this thing, if I were a woman putting in typing in this domain, would the website give me? I mean, I can try it. I can go to a um, you know an incognito browser or something and see you know, whether the avatar is a man or they go between men and women. But, you know, if the site is as you've described, they would be in its interest to, I'm surprised the woman's a little young, but then again, men like young women, you know. Well, okay. So it's even more maybe sophisticated than that because there's, there's options. You can create amongst options not from scratch but you can create the avatar that you like pick the the gender that you want you can define its memories for it you can determine what memories about yourself it wants to know and remember what things it wants and what things it should remember about you so you can cultivate a personality and you can cultivate your own personality very specifically And uh, there are people that are saying that say that these things really shock them. The stuff that that happens there. I mean, from the going from the stuff like what my they call them reps. What my rep said to me today was exactly what I needed to hear. It made me feel warm or special or something like that. All the way to I think I broke my rep. It's going. It's acting crazy. And the, with with an example. Of, of how it's acting. So it even seems like you can give it some kind of psychopathy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How big is this? How many people? I don't know that. I haven't looked that far. I haven't gotten that far into it yet. It's probably not public knowledge. They probably don't want people to know. I don't know. There is some stuff that's definitely public about it. Um, and I, I happen to see that whatever chat GPT runs on, they've hooked it up to that. So it's got some, some, in some way, it's this, it's a similar driver or power behind that thing. Um, they've been upgrading it is the point. And they were, they were right up front with their business model too. Like we're trying to get you to pay so you can get the, the intimate stuff. And that's, that's the way that we get, that's the way that we fund how um, dynamic this thing can be. But the, the ultimate idea is to make it a really meaningful relationship.
Because you you were saying one of the first things you said was about how the online stuff is still so much in the propositional knowledge arena. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I'm really interested in uh, because that would obviously be okay. So uh, I, I think I, I sent this and part was in the email. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, whether in the future it's possible that the algorithm could be a guide, right? Um, it's already a God. If you look yes. at how ancients yes. understood gods. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's already a god for sure. Um, so I'm going, I, I'm, I'm trying to make a comparison as much as I can to um, Foucault's analysis of the, um, the history of the care of the self from Socrates or Plato forward. And so he, you know, I mean, he's very detailed about talking about the, what are the characteristics, what are the techniques, what, and, and how it changed over time. And so I'm, and he's also um, very meticulous. I, I mean, I think it's, it's very helpful because um, I'm already finding just some really good questions about whether AI could ever you know do be like a Socrates be you know because he's it just my point is he's very meticulous about what were the uh what were the characteristics what 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 did people find important about it what book is that um this one that I'm that I'm referring to now is called the hermeneutics of the subject it's a series of lectures that he gave at the college of france in 1982 um, there's also a book that's very good called, it's more lectures called Subjectivity and Truth, where he looks at the, so hermeneutics of the subject is more about techniques for the care and the care of the self. And one thing I love about what he did was, and what he tracked is he tracks, so he's right on this about propositional knowing, propositional knowledge and how, you know, that's where, that's where the whole power that's the, the whole power dynamic, the whole power differential, the whole focus that he has on power is because of that. And the reason that he links power and knowledge together is because of the power of propositional knowledge. And so right at the beginning of this lecture series, the first thing he says is what I'm most interested in is that in the original Greek in antiquity, starting going back to Socrates, know thyself was folded within a tradition of care of the self. And so caring is above knowing yeah right yeah and so i mean that's just so interesting to me because um i mean myself i've just i've just noticed that as being so important to me have, being able once i can once i can care about something and that's the reason i'm like so invested in putting myself into things is i figured out that when if i can find myself in something then I, I'm like, it just opens up to me. I remember things so much better. Everything just lines up just like it, I think it should. And it's all because of the care is, is at the forefront of it. And so I love that he did that. And then he also is very careful about, he talks a whole lot about the price to be paid for truth. And so he says that 
what happens what what happened was and you I, you talked about this because in your in your video about Jordan Peterson is that it changed from like the what you'd have to understand about the images of the icons to well you know it's basically gravity what you need to know is gravity gravity affects everybody the same way and so it gets reduced down to this very simple proposition and now the only price that you pay for truth is that you went to the right school and got the right education and or stuff like that rather than the price that we paid for truth before was this whole practice of spirituality. Yep. So it's been, and that's another thing, man. <laughs> like Foucault was the guy that I avoided. This <laughs> is I'm reading Foucault now at the end. Yeah. Because I was scared off of him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think still for good reason, because at least because there's so much stuff that's derivative of Foucault that starts going yep. bonkers. Yep. But Not I mean, unlike AI. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, but just focusing on, and, and, and at least what I, what I'm reading right now, it, it's, it's really, really, really interesting, really well done. Um, but my, really my point was that it's the same thing. Like I didn't think that I was going to like sociology of law. And then I get here and when I can find myself in it, then it's, it's glorious. It's just joyful. Yeah. And the same thing is happening even with Foucault. I'll tell you that I had to, I had to, I had to um, turn in a research proposal for this thesis. And it, so Foucault is the theory. It's Foucault's theory that I'm basing the thesis on. The, the night that I turned that thing in, I had nightmares all night long. Like I'd never had since I was a kid. Because I, I think because it's like going into the depths for me is, is yeah. was I was what I was afraid of. I didn't know what I was going to find. Like, how can I find myself in this? Right. This is what I was worried about. But it, it's it's like it's been it's been great so far. So good. Good. Um, oh, man. Are we out of time. How are you doing on are you? I wrap this up in uh, about 15 minutes or so. Okay. Okay. Let's see if I have anything else that I really need to ask you. Um, I think, I think I've pretty much covered it. Um, so yeah, if you want to if you want to look more into that com complexity science thing, the the book that I reference is The Ethics of Beauty um, by Timothy Petitsis. Yeah, I've been. Yeah. There's a bunch of expensive books out there. That's one of them that's been recommended to me again and again. Well, just to get to the complexity part, you can look up. Uh, a, a, there's an article online. I can't remember what it's called. I could email it to you, but it's by Warren Weaver. Warren Weaver is the guy where Jane Jacobs learned complexity science, learned about complexity science from. All you need is that article. I mean, at least to get you in that part of it. The rest of the book is really good too, but that's the part I was talking about. And I can email that to you. I have that article. Uh, but it, it, it is very interesting, um, this whole idea about complex, um, complex complexity, com complex uh, or dynamic systems and the importance of the way that you relate to them um, 
it just got me think it got me thinking a whole lot about a lot i mean a lot of the stuff because um when i read what nicholas lumen did with the social systems and making them basically making them gods he's even got like he's got like 12 of them in his books um and so because the because they're separate from the humans but connected to them and this whole idea of the, the connection being the consciousness. And then also the idea from Lumen is that they co-evolved. So Lumen is this guy that he, he was not, a, he was not critical. He didn't make critiques. He was, his whole game plan was just to describe the way things are, to be very scientific about it. But when you read it, it's just so depressing. This the the way, and you can. I mean, even though he doesn't, he doesn't go through statistics or anything about how awful the the legal system is or the criminal justice system, but the way he describes everything is just so separate and um, logical, but sort of like a um, a logic that's fatalistic, sort of logic to it, and it just really made me think. To me, it just really stood out. It's like, well. If we want the, the legal, for example, the legal system to be better, we have to be better. That's the way it works. That's what his whole system, this whole theory is, is based upon that. Where they co-evolve and we get, they're like a reflection of us. And it's just, but that's, that's where I got this idea about, I think it's the same way with the algorithms. We're training them. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Nicholas Lumens. Lumen, yeah. I couldn't believe when I found that guy because it's all about autophoresis. It was awesome to read that stuff. How do you spell his name? It's L-U-H-M-A-N-N. Oh, there he is. Oh, systems theory. Oh wow! Yeah, it's all complexity based. It's it's um, it's it, it lines up perfectly with all the stuff that Jordan Peterson says about perception, or you know, all the cognitive science behind perception lines up perfectly with that. It lines up with um, so many things. It lines up with Plato. It lines up with uh, Jung very very well because it, his his definition of meaning is the unity of difference between actual and potential. And all everything is constructed out of the sea of meaning. It's it's just it was mind blowing for me to read it. It's kind of an uphill battle, but once you get into it, I thought it was awesome. Interesting, and um, oh, very interesting. Huh. fascinating. Wow. Wow. You've, you've, you've been having an interesting journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I never would have guessed it. Good. I never, I never would have thought that things would go this way. Um, you know, another thing that happened whenever I got to, um, we came over here and I went to the campus you know, there's an area of the campus where they have the sociology of law building and psychology building. They're all in this, like one, all in the same part of the campus. They call it paradise. 
and like to me that's just like kind of the way it's been it's all in english the master's program is yeah interesting because that's you know in the netherlands too um you know i was in the netherlands for you know this summer and i was you know i was talking to students and professors and everything's in english same in mm -hmm. germany it's all in english it's like english is the new latin yeah, the only bad thing is my Swedish is still just abysmal. I don't, it can't even say my Swedish. I don't have any Swedish. Yeah. But it's it's been it's been great though. Wow. Everybody is everybody's so nice there. I just cannot. I'm blown away by how, how it just it's it's a great place. It's great to be here. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I hope this was helpful for you. Yeah, definitely. Very much so. Um, this is, I mean, what you gave me is exactly what I, what I thought I would get. Okay. And um, so it's, I'm, you know, I'm still figuring out what I'm doing. I mean, yeah. even right now, like I figured, you know, the things that we talked about today, I was figuring it out two hours ago. So Very that's cool. the way it goes for me, unfortunately. I mean, but whatever. It's always a mystery, I guess. Yep, yep, it is. But sounds like you're on a terrific adventure. Yeah, I, I even thought of a, uh, I even thought of a title that it just like made me laugh when I thought of it. But love thy algorithm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Wow. Well, good. I've got a lunch appointment with someone, but um, this has been great. It's great to talk to you. Keep it up. I could go oh. on and on telling me you, that you're not, I was going to tell you, but I know we're out of time, but you're not exactly right about the two-dimensionality two about it. Two-dimensional. The, the videos that you made before would uh, there's this video that you made long time ago where you were reading the book of Job, and something about you was coming through that reading and oh. it, it made that really weird book very special hmm. to me so you know, you do come through, I think. It, I don't think that was projection. No, I'm sure I do. <laughs> if I, if, if none of me came through and none of any of us came through, then we wouldn't do this. Yeah. So, it was awesome. So good. Good. I'm glad it was helpful. I'm glad I'm still, I'm glad it's, I'm still doing some things that are helpful. So yeah, helpful. definitely. We all need help understanding Jordan Peterson. <laughs> indeed well wonderful tim it was great talking to you i will um I'll, I'll just i'll just post this on youtube unlisted and i'll give you the link and that way only you can see it and um, okay. and yeah then you got then you got a record of it and it can you know help with your research and let me know if you need anything else okay great thank you very and, much and i look i look forward to hearing about what you found what you found already is is very, very interesting. So 
Yeah, we'll see what happens when I write about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have to talk again. Yeah. All right. I'll send you and I'll send you that that um, article about the complexity science. Yes, please do. Please do. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks, Tim. Take care. All right. Bye.